0: Hey team, welcome to the Professionally Offensive Podcast I'm your host, Joseph Cabrera This is the spot where we provide raw, unfiltered insights for some amazing guests Stand by, you're about to be offended in all the right ways Alright team, welcome to the Professionally Offensive Podcast I'm your host, Joseph Cabrera And today, I'm here with Steve Stoll Steve and I have known each other for quite some time uh, we actually connected when we were getting our MBAs at Texas. And what I think you're going to find really impressive about Steve today is just his background. And again, he's one of those guys when you meet him, humble guy, just you would think he's just like a, a normal dude you'd meet out at a barbecue or whatever. One, I want to say thanks for being on the show.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to be here. Yeah,
0: I man, it's, it. it's been a long time coming on this yeah. one. But so let me get into Steve's background. And then I want to just dive into it, man, because we talk a lot about the skills we learned in the service that are directly applicable, I think, in business. But they're not the stuff to show up on a resume. It's all the soft skills that I believe are the hard skills of business. Uh, but we'll get into that. But let me give you a little background on Steve. So Steve's uh, after graduating West Point, went into the service, and then was and then made his way through the ranks, um, and eventually landed um, as a. You may have heard him as as Green Berets, but Special Forces is the particular uh, nomenclature on where he grew up and, and where he was. And so he led a team with Seventh Group, is that right? Seventh Group, yep. yeah. Yeah, with Seventh Group based out of Florida. So their main area of operations is in that Central and South America area, and he's done some impressive things. I I'm, can't wait to, for us to dive into that. So after he spent some time uh, over there and then, of course, deployed over there into, uh, did you do a tour in Afghanistan as couple, well? Yeah, three. Three tours, yeah. just a few, just, just yeah. a few just tours the over there, man. Uh, in addition to go spending some time out that way, then Steve got out of the service uh, and like a lot of us, went and embarked on on the business side of things. So he's worked at places like Dell and now, you know, in some startups in between and now working for a company that I think we're all very familiar with, which is Twilio. And Twilio, for those of you who don't know, if you can imagine anything that has to do, it's a communications platform that if you can imagine anything that you use on a day-to-day basis where you're getting text messages or phone numbers from you know from your airline tickets all the way to when your Uber ride's showing up, Twilio's probably behind that back in that. And what Steve does in particular is help Twilio find um, the senior executives that help run that company. So he's recruiting these big hitters out there to continue moving the company forward. So just giving you a little insight into Steve, he's just got a good way in a particular way of looking and figuring out how people tick and then putting them into the big, big puzzle there to make it run. So did I miss anything? That's brother? a
1: great summary. Um, One thing I would add, I I found my way into the military kind of uniquely, right? Okay, like, yeah. So I, I grew up um, out, just outside of Chicago, played sports my whole life, was the oldest of seven kids. And seven, that's right, you got seven, seven yeah. man. So we were always outside beating each other up, playing sports. Um, and when I was in high school, I started to go through kind of the recruiting process to play in college and had a couple schools around the local area. Looking at me for, for baseball and basketball. And uh, I started getting recruited by Annapolis and West Point, and I had no idea what they were. Like, no family history in the military. You know, didn't even, I, I knew about, obviously, about the military, didn't know what the military academies were at all. And they started recruiting me for basketball, and they brought me out there on a recruiting trip, and they showed me, you know, all the camaraderie, a football game. Um, they hid all the plebe stuff. I was hanging out with a firstie, like a senior. Um, and it's I, hard not to be it's mesmerized, ha- oh, right? I was mesmerized. <laughs> it, they had me hook, line and sinker. And I was like, I'm going there. Um, told my mom I'm going there. Uh, wait, that was your senior year. Se- that was my, yeah. Beginning of my senior year wow, of man. high school. And, uh, I show up day one and they're like, all right, shave your head. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like, and I kind of went, I didn't know what I was getting into, but I just took it like almost like, all right, I guess I'll just get through today. And I guess that's a story. Of my whole military career is like, I, I never had any intention of staying in beyond my five years. Yeah. I was like, you know, I, I'm like, yo, I, this is a great opportunity. Good education. I'll, I'll do my time, my five years and I'll get out. And then like, as it kind of went out, I was like, you know what? Maybe that sounds cool. Maybe that sounds cool. And then, you know, I end up going special forces and it's just a, I, I, I didn't always dream of being a special forces soldier, right? Like I was, it just kind of happened Yeah, and I was like, you know what? Let's try it. And that's kind of my career, I guess.
0: Yeah, man. No, I think that's a, um, It's a really good point you put on it. So for for a lot of folks who may not be as familiar with that whole kind of journey into West Point, and it's something I personally just haven't talked about that much until very recently. And it's just, Steve and I were just chatting here before about how the military is a really interesting place because it not only do they try to find folks who are not full of themselves and try to put them in a team together, it's just the dynamic. But, man, it is beating into you. Just, like, don't talk about yourself. Just put your head down and do your work. And so until recently, we even were discovering that, like, oh, I guess it is an interesting place we went to school that was pretty atypical. Yeah. And you're right about showing up, man. You show up to that place. It's in the middle of the mountains. And it looks like a medieval castle in compound that just, it, and, you know, mixed with a little bit of Hogwarts. And you got the Hudson yeah. that runs through it. Beautiful. Green. Beautiful, man. Right, beautiful, just these old like what is that infrastructure called? Like old like Gothic. I don't yeah, know what it is, it's, man.
1: It's almost like a medieval times. Like
0: yeah, yeah,
1: it's crazy. And you don't appreciate what it looks like until you come back after you graduate. That's it, man. Right. You got to come back. You gotta I was go t- back.
0: There's some folks that uh, some of our classmates, man, they're like still haven't been back. I was like, what's man. up, man? They're like, man, I can't go back. I was like, it's not the s- you it's won't the see it the same way as you used to see yeah. it. Where you're just getting dragged to the Head dirt, down, just walking to class, <laughs> <laughs> wow. dealing with all the. All the things, man. No, it, it's a good point, and uh, I like what you said about if, you know ending, not always ending up with where you were. So, yeah. or not intending to end up where you ended up. Uh, I find that a lot of guys that are, in my book are impressive. A lot of guys and gals are impressive. That's how it turned out. And dude, I used to hear people say that all the time. Ah, uh, you know, I just kind of found my way in. I thought that was just a nice way of them trying to be humble. But as I got into it myself, I realized that's the truth, man. You end yeah. up being good at something, and then some weird opportunity comes up, and you're like. Well, okay, maybe I'll give that a try. So how did you, when you were doing your regular service stuff, how did you decide, yeah. you know what, I want to go the Special Forces route?
1: That's a good question. So um, I was in Afghanistan in 2008, right after we graduated. And I saw, I was living on an outpost in, you know, the Kunar province. So like out in the middle of nowhere, just going through the suck with the guys. Yeah, And, uh, you know, we lived there all year, right? we just live on this outpost. We'd eat, sleep, we'd go in. Our, our area of operation was this valley we were in we you know that's it that's all we saw and every once in a while a special forces team would come in at night and they'd have all the assets they'd have all the cool gear they'd go in they'd conduct their hit they'd go out they'd fly back to a nice base <laughs> eat a nice meal get a nice gym and just the, the mission set and the, just the camaraderie they had i was like dang, i want to do that right so that's what first got kind of the taste of it. I got back from that deployment, did some research, was like, "Oh, that's a really cool mission set." Um, put in my packet, and it, it kind of like the rest of my career, it was just a day at a time, right? I got my packet, got accepted, ended up going to selection, right? Um, did that for a while, and then you, you know, I, I got into the Q course, and I didn't know where I was going to go with it. I was like, "Let me let me try it," and yeah, you know, just it, it got me there eventually. So it was i uh, I'm glad I made the investment. It was it was awesome.
0: How long, man, it takes, it's a chunk of time, it's right? A, like how long before you get to wear that long tab, as they call it? That yeah, so I started,
1: tab. I started the, I, I went to selection in like February of 2000, 2010. Okay. And I didn't get my, my long tab, my special forces tab until the end of 2012. Yeah, so it's like a two-year yeah, process, a, right? And I got lucky. I, I went straight <clears> through, like, don't accounting for, like, injuries or if, or if guys want to go, you know, in the medical yeah, segment and no be a medic. It's way longer. So I got lucky in that I got through as fast as I did. I, I have buddies who were in the Q course for three years.
0: Yeah. Right? And so it's a big investment. I mean, no doubt investment. about it, man. I mean, so, I mean, just the idea of committing yourself. And the other thing that's tough about that course is that you can go two years, three years – And not be guaranteed to graduate at the end of that time, right? There's gates. There's always gut checks throughout, right? There's
1: different gates you got to pass, and sometimes you'll you'll get through a gate, you don't make it, so they recycle you, so you got to do it again. Sometimes you get injured, and you got to go back. It's it's a long it's a it's a long battle of attrition. Like you got to really want it, yeah, to to do that and to put through it. I know a lot of a lot of guys I went through with that were just like, hey, you know, I've been here for two years. I I just don't know if I want to go through the rest of it. So they don't see the light at the end of the tunnel.
0: Um, but yeah, it's a long process. The uh, So when you think about that that process there and getting through all that stuff, did you know, like when did you, we all kind of see the cool guy stuff, yeah. so to speak, happening. When did you all figure out like, okay, this is what really, maybe for the audience, like when you really boil down what it is that Special Forces does. Yeah. I think it, could get, it gets mixed in with like with SEALs and Rangers and like, the other special operations type uh, entities in, in military does, how do you boil down like, hey, man, this is what this is what being a Green Beret means? Because yeah. it's definitely known, but I think our world doesn't really understand. It, it, you're right. They bucket it all together. Um,
1: and I, I'll be honest, like, what got me to want to go Special Forces is different than what got me through it. It's okay. not the cool guy stuff. Like, a, a lot of, you know, Special Forces units, they, they have the cool guy stuff. But what the, special, what, what the Green Berets do is I, I look at it as almost like diplomatic yeah. We're kind of, um, and I don't want to go too far in the weeds on what the mission set is like on un- unconventional warfare. But we're essentially a unit that goes to a, a country where you have political interests. Right. And and trains, advises and assists assist their partner force to become successful so that they can be a self-sustaining, you know, military and government. Like that's what we do. It's it's by, with and through. Right. Yep. So we're going there. We're linking up with their. The best of their best military, we're training them, we're advising them, we're assisting them and, and making them become a successful self sustaining unit. Yeah. Right. So it's a lot of our work is not unilateral, not by ourselves, right? It's it's with that that partner nation.
0: Yeah. Um, I found man, I think that's just telling of your even your own personality. I found that the guys that are really typically good at that stuff are equal parts warrior and equal yeah. parts. You said it, man. Uh, you stole the word, words out of my brain, which is just like like a, you know, a diplomat, right? Yeah. Able to... They're the person who can make friends at a party within the first five seconds. Right. You know, and get people to earn their trust right away. But at the same time, they just possess these skills that are of the most elite nature yeah. when it comes to being lethal in their craft.
1: That's exactly right. And, I, and you can kind of put in a couple buckets, because I did, obviously, a few Afghan tours. And in Afghanistan, like, we know the mission. It's kinetic, right? Like, we're yep. fighting we know the enemy we're fighting the Taliban we're working with the Afghan commandos to to help them be be good at what they do and we're training them how to fight and, and how to defeat the enemy i went on a deployment to Honduras and that was a, a more unique opportunity so and it kind of it, it kind of goes into the green brace story a little bit so we we have it's kind of a political sensitive sensitive area down there like they're not the the biggest fans of Americans um but our mission was to go sync up with this this Honduran military unit mm-hmm. to train them on counter narcotics, you know, to make them successful at defending their area of operation. Um, but they didn't, they didn't know us. They didn't know we were coming. They might've gotten word that, Hey, there's some people from America coming to help you, but they didn't know who we were. So me and a couple guys on my team, it's, it's, it, they call it the, the pilot team. We were the, the first, the first team to make contact with that unit. It was me and two, two of my buddies on my team. And we showed up at their gate. We knocked, and we're like, hey, we're, we're here to help you. And they they didn't let us on. So oh, really? They, the commander— Did they even know you all were coming? They, they I think they would heard we were coming. They didn't know who we were, though, and they didn't know— I don't even know if they supported us coming. They didn't seem to, at least. So <laughs> we show up at their gate. We knock. <laughs> hey, I'm here for the on. dinner party. You're like, no, you're not. No, they didn't let <laughs> us on. We, we slept outside of their gate.
0: No joke, yep. man.
1: The next day, knocked again. and And it took— like you talk about building rapport, like that's the essence of building rapport. Like I had, they're, they're, they had a colonel who was running their unit and it was my job as, as the team leader to, to partner with that, that colonel. Wasn't the nicest guy, you know, and, and not, not only that, but there was the language barrier as well. I didn't speak fluent Spanish. I, I, could, I could get by a little bit. Um, but what I really learned is that you have to find commonality between someone to build rapport. It could be anything. It could be professional. It could be personal. Um, what I ended up finding out was that he liked his whiskey. So I went into the local town. I bought the nicest bottle of whiskey I could find. I don't even know if it was nice. (laughs) And on the third day I showed up and knocked and he wasn't gonna let me in. I showed him the bottle of whiskey and he's like, okay, come on in. So we had a little whiskey, started asking about his family. You know, we made that kind of personal connection and, you know, we ended up getting invited on the, on the base. We, we got a little team house set up and we, we worked with them for five months and it was a very successful mission. Holy like shit! like I was friends with this guy by the end of it and their teams like their team was successful. We did, you know what we could, but it all came down to that initial rapport building to just get our foot in the door.
0: Right. Were y'all doing, what was the main mission set out there? You all have narcotics. Counter so narcotics, a lot of, yeah. a
1: lot of drugs from Colombia would come through the port that we were by in Honduras before coming to the States. Right. So that was that, that area was that port was their area, um, that they had to kind of, you know, prevent the drugs from getting through. And, and we trained them on that. It was super fun. Um,
0: But yeah, that's impressive. It's the, that could not be a better piece of symbolism for like what real rapport building actually is, which is being, you know, and that happens in a business that happens in families that happens all over the place where you immediately are coming in and Americans we're notorious for this. We come Mm -hmm. in business right away, right? Hey, look, Hey Jim, Hey Susan, whatever, shake each other's hands. And now let's go talk business. Man, it's not even just a cultural thing. It's just people in general. It's like, who the heck are you? One, I don't even want you to be here. And now you're you're telling me that I need to do something. You can go kick rocks. And so how you build that relationship, I mean, it's missed all the time, right? I mean, people being able to do those things. When you were, okay, so here's my other thing is like, did you learn to do that? Or is that Steve Stoll, the guy just being like, I got to I gotta, a, I gotta win somehow. So how did I figure out that I need to do something outside the rule book here? I
1: think successful Green Berets always have that skill, right? Yeah. It's just something you kind of have a little bit, being able to talk to people and, and build rapport. But I will say they do a really good job in the, the Q course of refining those skills and putting you in situations that are unorthodox that you kind of have to, to navigate stuff like that. Yeah. Like I, I wouldn't say I was putting that exact scenario in the, the qualification course, but similar ones where yeah. I, you know, I, the, the situation happened and I didn't completely like not know what to do. Right. I'd kind of been trained on it. So I, a little bit of both, I'd say. Yeah. To be honest. No,
0: I love that, man. You know, one thing that you mentioned that I hadn't even thought about till right now is uh, how much the service. And I think as you go in the more elite tiers, even even more, yeah. how much they put us in these laboratories all the time. Whereas, like, when you're in business, I think the, one, the, the thing I see all the time in business where leaders suffer is because they got to play game day all the time. All the time. Right, as opposed to being able to practice in real-life scenarios. And then when they come out there, it's not looking the same, but they at least have some of these things firing in their brains and they've seen it before. You civilian know, before.
1: Side is, the, the civilian side is on-the-job training, whereas the military, like, think how much time you train and rehearse
0: yeah at least 50% of the time at
1: least and and that just doesn't happen as much there's not maybe there's not the time afforded to do that in the civilian side but like that training component isn't there like we experienced it
0: yeah no I think you're right man and that's what makes that different okay so before we kind of go into the business side of things I think what would also be helpful is you know you talk about the Q course and stuff like tell me a little bit about well I'm going to tell the audience a little bit about like the the conventional military is kind of what you'd seen in movies probably right you got a you know steve being an officer me being an officer you got you're in charge of a group of individuals right there are 30 to 40 folks you know a bunch of grunts getting after it especially on the combat arms side of the house but as you go into the special forces world and i think this is an important thing to talk about because i think this is how it plays into the dynamics even of business what steve you became in charge of a larger team and then or you were in charge of a larger yeah. team you go into the special world and those teams increasingly get smaller, smaller. But way more potent. And so yeah. like, can you give the basic makeup of what that 12 For person sure. special forces team looks like?
1: Yeah, so the, uh, they call it an operational detachment alpha. Um, it's, a, it's a 12 person team and it, it, it mimics the, the force power of a battalion in the military, right? So we have all the different components. We have uh, two weapons specialists. We have two communication specialists. We have two engineers. Um, we got two medics we got an Intel guy who, who, who he gathers intelligence and kind of helps drive our missions. I have a, I had a team Sergeant. We called the, the team daddy who was the senior leader from an NCO perspective on a team who, who pretty much handled the team on a day-to-day basis. Right. Like he was in charge, like for a lack of a better term, like he was in charge. Um, and we just were a force multiplier. We could go to these countries and we could train a battalion size element because of all the, the skills and resources that our team had. It's just a 12-man team. So force multiplier is the best way to put it, I'd say. Um, but, yeah, a lot of times we were, we we're syncing up with two, 300-person you know, battalions and training them, right? Yeah.
0: Um,
1: so it's kind of cool, right, but- to, to have those minimal resources and be able to do so much with them.
0: Yeah, and these dudes are, are- – they're oh, yeah. wicked good at what they do. Yeah. They and are. super smart, man. I mean, anytime I've ever worked with and around them, they are a cut above. I mean, you probably get very interesting characters in very those positions. Very interesting and very experienced. I, I,
1: that's funny. I, I met my team. I, I was out of the Q course and my team was already downrange in Afghanistan. And my battalion commander, I, I show up to Afghanistan and my battalion commander's like, all right, Steve, you're going to go lead this team. You know, I, we were in Kandahar. And, uh, it was humbling, right, to, like, me, a freshly minted captain right out of the, out of the Q course, showing up and expecting to, like, lead guys who'd been doing this for, for years and years. My team sergeant had been on, like, eight deployments. He'd been in the military for 18 years, yeah. right? And, and me, uh, what, I was, I was probably 26 at the time, showing up and expected to, to be the, the leader of this team. It was humbling, right? And yeah. You, you, you got to have a, a bit of humility showing up and knowing that you don't really know anything, right? Yeah. You are the leader of the team, but you know, you gotta take everything from them. Like learn from them. You know, don't don't try to come in and turn the team on its head. You know, it's they've been successful for a reason. You let them be successful and you provide guidance when you, where you can. Yeah.
0: Um yeah, it was, it was humbling. Do you remember when there was a what was the turning point or do you remember something that happened that made the guys go, All right, man, I like this guy, Steve. You yeah, know, honestly. He, you know, cause that there's like an, a there's like a, a I always found that as a new officer coming onto a team. It is respectful yet very tense. They're they're just really sizing you up. But then there's this like anointing that happens if yeah. you're doing it right. Do you remember that turning point? It when was they were like you're our guy.
1: Yeah. So it was on. It was it was one of our first missions out. Um, kind of just what I did was I I would ask them for their opinion on stuff. I wouldn't yeah. just make a decision in a you know in a vacuum. Everything I, everything I did, if I had the opportunity to ask their input, I would get it. Like at the end of the day, I might make a decision that goes against what they recommended, but at least I'm taking their input. Yeah. I think they really appreciated that, right? They, they, they liked the fact that I wasn't just coming in as a leader and making my own decisions. Like they liked that I, I got their input and took that into account in making decisions. And that happened very early on, right? Yeah. Like, right? Like the first mission we went on, I asked them how they'd done it in the past, you know, what made sense.
0: And I think that really resonated with them. Even when you, if you ever went against the grain, how did you still maintain respect with them? If you were like, okay, cool, got, I heard you, but you know what? I, I, we got to yeah. go left on this one. Because they knew that I took their opinion. Then they were on board either way.
1: Right. So they knew that even if I made a different decision, at the end of the day, I was still making the decision that was best for the team. Yeah. And they, I think they just understood that because numerous times in the past, I did take their input and I and I made a decision that was in line with their input. Yeah. Um, And then every once in a while, if I had to go against the grain, they knew I was doing it for the right reasons.
0: Yeah, I know. I dig it, man. So, I mean, it's incredible. I I think what's hard to, sometimes I wish we could put brain chips, you know, in people's brains and kind of see where it goes. But I think about the gravity of the situation. You are this 26-year-old guy, 26, 27-year-old guy. You've already been to combat before. You've already proven to be a conventional leader. Now you're coming on this elite team. You're having to start over again. I mean, doesn't that happen in the military? Like you go 25 years in the service and you're starting over like 10 times. Right. Because as soon as you climb up to another tier, you start at the bottom of that tier again. You got to prove yourself. How do you, why is it that in, you know, why is it in business? I think about this all the time and maybe we're just not doing a good job about it. But the reason I tell businesses to look at the veteran population is not because I think they owe them something. And, you know, here's a form of charity. I think because you have this 26-year-old that's going to lead literally the elite of the elite with little to no guidance, has already proven they can gut out all the training and all the combat and all the resumes you need to get there, and they'd be dumped in the middle of Honduras and try to figure out how to partner with this guy and think for themselves. And you come out in the civilian world, and I can't get a senior executive at a company to hire a guy to literally manage one person on a software engineering team yeah
1: I think it's I think it's twofold right I, I don't I don't shift all the blame just to the to the business leaders because they, they, they play a part in it but I think a lot of veterans when they when they get out they think they're starting over right and they kind of put to the rear view all the stuff that they did like, yeah you're not starting over right like everything in each stage of the military I went through I use stuff from my previous experience experience to be successful in that new role yeah it's no different in the military community right like or sorry in the civilian sector like use what you learn in the military to like be successful on the civilian side and i i i I think we need to do a better job in in transition of helping veterans put that on paper yeah right like show the soft show the skills that carry over that was the hardest thing for me getting out of the military was taking the cool stuff off my resume no one cares that you did 500 combat patrols in afghanistan right yeah they care about the the things that translate to the civilian sector. And although those skills, a lot of what you did on those combat patrols definitely carries over, like they don't understand that. Yeah. So I think we need to do a better job of helping veterans translate their skills into the civilian side. And then with with on the business side of it, I think a big thing is under like people tend to hear military and they put everyone in the same bucket, right? They have, they have these certain soft skills. They got strong work, work ethic, they got grit, leadership, but there's different aspects of the military. They're completely opposite on opposite ends of the spectrum. Like they have to understand more what people do in the military to see how they translate, right? And that's, yeah. something, that's something I try to do, um, you know, as, as a way to try to give back is help, help veterans understand how to, to make themselves more marketable on the civilian side and also yeah. help my business partners understand what certain skill sets in the military bring to the table.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And it's yeah. all and it's even branch specific, right? Like yeah. I feel like the Air Force and the Navy do a way better job cuz their jobs are already kind of teed up to brief really sure. well in the civilian world, whereas the Army and the Marine Corps traditionally have been very rough about getting that story out. Like yeah. if you look at it, someone who's made a career out of communications in the civilian world, you should immediately you should think, "Hey, that person's different than every other person wearing the uniform because that person's a little more technically minded. Probably sure. looking at more of like what a software engineer would be. They're mm-hmm. just, they can deal with figuring out how to do things with limited resources. Whereas an officer, it's going to be more of an executive manager type. You can really put them in charge of anything mm-hmm. and they'll figure out how to get the general management piece of something going. But I think you're right. It's probably education on both sides of the coin yeah. that make this thing come together better. For sure. And what, I try, uh,
1: it's, it's hard. I try to do that as much as I can.
0: What's the thing that you find, man? Like Because you you kind of went up the ranks pretty fast, Steve. I'll say that, man. Yes. Like, what what was the thing you pulled from your time in the service that allowed you, you think, to really bridge the yeah. gap quickly in business? Because a lot of us, just for listeners out there, it's not untypical. And I'm not saying this is negative. If you really want to do this, we're living great. But a lot of us get out with already pe- the civilian world looking at the reputation of military. You're probably good at operations. And so we're going to put you in charge of this third shift at the warehouse or something like that. Right. Um, you didn't go that route. So like, how did you, what did you pull from your past that allowed you to go? That's a great question. So the biggest thing I learned was
1: networking is huge, right? Like having as many conversations as you can with different people, um, being able to just have those conversations drive success, getting your foot in the door at a, at a company and then, and then deciding which way you want to go. Right. Like that, that's, that's something that I got lucky. It's very hard to get that foot in the door. And I I got lucky. I I landed a job at Dell and it was through just networking. Right. And the MBA helped a lot. Right. Like MBA, you you build a nice network there and you get people, you know, and, and they help you get your foot in the door. Um, but some of the skills in the military that, that, translate well and kind of help lead some success. And, and this is something we learned early on. It's super simple, but you know, 90% of it is right place, right time, right uniform, right? Like <laughs> show up ready to learn and listen. And like, you're ahead of the game. You're ahead of probably 80% of people just yeah. doing that alone. Yeah. Um, decisiveness is something that I think we take from the military. Like I think how many times in a, in a combat scenario where you weren't given all the answers, right? You had a couple pieces of intel together and you had to make a decision, right? But you made the decision, you got behind it. Decisiveness sometimes lacks from my assessment in the civilian side. Like I can see people that people want the perfect solution as opposed to, to making a decision based on what you have in front of you and then getting the team to support that decision. Yeah. Rather, it's, I have no problem making a decision. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I have no problem making the best decision I can and then going towards it. Right.
0: And I think some people lack that skill. Um, that's a good point, man, because yeah. I think about that. Uh, that's a really good point because you're, especially in a world where you have all the data to make the decision, I found that like, I mean, you Over know, better. analysis
1: paralysis, is that what they call it? Yeah. yeah. Analysis
0: paralysis, man. And you also find it like, gosh, dog, there's a lot of ways to, to get to a win. Yeah. And it's mostly momentum. Like once you figure out what decision you're going to make, rallying the troops to get it to success I guarantee you that some of the most successful products or services we see out there today probably could have been successful a couple other ways. Yeah. It's just they got the most momentum behind it, which is why that was successful. I think you're right. Never, you know, thinking about that is you only we were good at being like, yeah, it's about sixty five percent good. Let's go. Sure, we'll buff out the rest exactly. of that and make it successful on the other end. No, that's interesting.
1: The um, I, I will admit, like it's hard. Like getting your foot in the door is hard for veterans. Yeah. Um, it was hard for me. Like, it took me a long time just to land a, a job. Um,
0: what was and that's the biggest roadblock, to... you think? You just not knowing how to do it, or you think just no, a lot of people not seeing you for what you really were? Lo- people looking at a resume yeah. and saying,
1: hey, this person doesn't have this, they're not a fit. Yeah. Um, and it's very hard to get over that. And it's hard for a recruiter. You have to think, these recruiters are seeing thousands of resumes a day, and they have their buzzwords they're looking for. Yeah. Um, so just, if you can get that initial call, Like, that's your opportunity, right? But getting that initial call is hard. Um, But I feel like once you get your foot in the door, that's when the the military skill sets really flourish. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, think about something I, like some some soft skills that I always look for is like the leadership and communication piece that you learn in the military. A lot of people don't have that. Um, Like, I look at leading a 12-person ODA. And despite, you know, you might, you might, from the outside see that team and you think they're all the same you as a leader of a team like that you have to communicate very differently with every person to to drive success right like i had a i had some guys who you know constructive criticism like tell them how it is and they'll be like roger sir and they'll get it done mm-hmm. i had other guys and you might not think it they're they like would shut down when i was stern with them right so what i had to do was find a way to communicate to them to get them to be successful where it's like hey hey tom um i like the way you're doing it have you thought about doing it this way? Maybe we try that a couple times, you know, to see if, you know, it can make it even better. And, and they would appreciate that. They do it the other way and realize it worked. Right. So you, I think people, leaders today, they they, they think that they see a, a leadership style work and they think they have to force feed it to everyone. Yeah. It worked with one person. It's going to work with everyone. I feel like successful leaders have to adapt to the people they're leading. Um, and a lot of people, I, I don't think, understand that because they, they haven't really lived it in maybe an environment like we lived it in. Combat, right?
0: Yeah. Um, then you partner that up with the extra dynamic of then leading a uh, host country. A host country. And now, and their dynamics are not only different as a whole, but then also as individuals. Exactly. So what you're saying is, hey, man, a good people leader, a good person, you know, to look at is also really good at leading, being custom tailored to these individuals within the team.
1: Yeah. And even selling the mission, right? Like I have oh, to sell yeah. my mission differently to my guys than I did with the partner force than I did with my senior leaders, right? Yep. Every... Every way I sold the mission was different. Like, I had, to, I had to tell my guys, hey, this is going to be fun. We're going to do this. Like, it's going to help improve this. With a partner force, it's like, we're going to do all this to help you guys be successful in car narcotics. Then with my senior leaders is how is what we're doing helping the U.S.? Yeah, right? move so foreign policy forward. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you have to sell it to a bunch of different stakeholders. And, That's a and good that point, man. know.
0: I thought about that, and uh, my guys, that might be listening to this now. I'm just, you know, um, I hope they don't think bad about it. But like, in a lot of ways, also being a good officer is also being a good salesperson. Yeah, it is. And I know it sounds, uh, it sounds kind of, you know, it probably gets a bad rep from even saying that. But this is one thing I think about business all the time. It's like go find good, like, guy officers with heavy combat experience. They're probably really good salespeople. Yeah. Because they got to sell a mission. Basically, i got to convince these guys that it's okay that their life might be on the line. But trust me, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Right? And so there's just a different level. Of, <laughs> like, if I can sell you to write me a blank check for your life, I think I can probably go sell this widget.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And there was times I had to change it, right? Like, I'd, I'd, I'd like, step back and just be able to read people a little bit. Like, I'd, I'd, I could tell my team was sucking a little bit. They weren't having fun. Yeah. So let's change the dynamics a little bit to make them have fun. But we're still... Doing what we need to do with our partner force right so yeah let's have a party with the partner force right let's bring in their families and it's the you know you got to get creative especially when you lack the resource like we we didn't have a lot of resources doing these missions right oh yeah you, you know drop, that. The, like, middle of drop in the middle nowhere Drop the middle nowhere with a couple a couple of dollars and
0: a couple of MREs <laughs> and
1: get it done right <laughs> go make so, it happen yeah. you got
0: enough food until yeah you'll run out until you make friends and go make friends we had
1: to, in Honduras we had to like air was bad weather was bad we couldn't get you know, our, our bundle drops. We had to go find a cook in, in the village of Puerto Lempira, Honduras. <laughs> Who can cook? Hey, we'll pay you this if you come on to base and cook for us. And no, it's way. cool. Yeah. It was, it was, it was cool, man. We really kind of lived off the land a little bit. So
0: yeah, no, you gotta be scrapping. That's the stuff uh, I know. me mean, you can miss, we talk about missing those days. I think it is that sense of I don't know. Maybe that's the inner entrepreneur or the person who like just figured it out in this figure type of stuff. But there's just something so raw about that experience. Whereas even in a even in a big organization called the military, the army, you still get to be this like little startup CEO and go yeah. figure out how to make something happen with limited to no resources and no permission. Just go make it yeah, happen. For sure. Yeah. How do you find man? So like what you're doing today, right? With Twilio and then even with other organizations you'd work with. I know a lot of what you do now is like try to find the best person for the, yeah. for the role in which you're fitting and where you're at at your levels now is really finding the, 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 t- the folks leading the heap. My question to you is just like you said, how do you get beyond the resumes and stuff? Like how are you, how do, how does Steve stole yeah. himself, go find the right person? You know, is that through the conversation that really giving you, I'd say the conversation is the driver. So okay.
1: there's, there's certain skills like, you kind of have to have to be in consideration especially at this level for certain roles right so i'll find you know similar companies that operate within the same kind of speed like, yeah. right we're, we're in a we're, we're in tech so it's fast paced so i look for i like to look for you know similar companies that have kind of the same you know mission that we're working especially in the tech industry then the skill sets right a couple skill sets that i need to find for the role but a lot of the times it's a phone you got to get on the phone with these people to understand you know to peel back the onion a little bit. Yeah. I think that's a skill that is honed pretty well in the military, right? Like I think of times like the ability to read people and understand who a person is after one conversation. There's times where in Afghanistan, you're, you're, you're talking to a potential asset. Yep. And you know, you have to have a brief conversation with this person and assess whether or not you could trust them with your lives essentially. Right. So, that's an important piece and I, I think that did carry over a little bit the ability to to read someone and understand someone fairly quickly it's just it's something that just you kind of learn and pick up on and I think, yeah, that, think that is that pattern well.
0: recognition you think just doing it over and over or do you think it's something else
1: I think it might be a little bit of that okay. um, but again it, I think another thing too is just being put in that situation so much you just start to it's hard to explain right but like I can get off the phone with someone and I can kind of I can tell right like hey this this person, they might be the right fit from a, from a personality perspective or they, they're, they con, they're concise communicator. They mean well, you know, they're passionate. Like you can kind of pick up on that stuff. I don't know if it's a skill I could say that I can identify how I learned it, but I just kind
0: of just have it. And I think it's through some of those military experiences. It's probably difficult, man. I imagine that if you got a team working with you on that side of the house, it's probably difficult to most of the time, I mean back up and say like, if you're running an operational house, for example, you can probably teach the people underneath you to be as good as you are with those operational type things. But this one seems almost singularly as a gift, right? Like you kind of have it or you don't have that intuition about people.
1: Yeah, and it's knowing. I think what helps too is knowing because I, I a lot of these these calls I take, I'm, the, the the technical components are there, right? I know that by looking at their profile, but I want to really dig into the soft skills. And I think knowing what those soft skills are, what they, what they mean helps. Right. Like I know from experience, what a good leader is. I know what a good communicator is. You know, I know someone who can problem solve that's through experience. And I think through those experiences, I learned how to assess that in someone. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you no, kind of I
0: pick up on it in the conversation. I can see that, man. I can see that. I can see those skills and the things that made you successful for being something that carries into the business world, but also being very difficult to describe to somebody what it is. I yeah, mean, I, I it think is. about uh, just trust me. You got to be like sometimes you got to be like, hey, trust me. You should talk to this person. Right? Yeah, that's As right. As
1: opposed to telling them why. Yeah, no, it's that's hard right. Sometimes.
0: Dude, how many times do you remember? It brings me back to the days when we were in the service. This is tell me if this line resonates. I know it will. You'll get done. Uh, chatting with somebody, or someone will come in for a quick little lecture or whatever. And at the end, we're all kind of like in the hallway or whatever, just kind of debriefing on like this person we heard from. And one of them will go, it's just really it like, man, that, that guy was a good dude. Yeah. And just that term good dude, like for some reason, in just 15, 20 minutes of hearing somebody, you immediately know that you can trust this and person. It's hard to define why. Why, like, why, why are they they good a good dude? dude? They're yeah. just a good dude. they <laughs> just right? a good dude. Like, <laughs> Like that guy, if, if he's on the other side of the radio in a firefight, we're going to be all right. Yeah, you sure. know, and it's, but how do you know that? Exactly. I don't know. You just know, you yeah. know, there's a it's weird a gut, intuition.
1: Gut. A lot of what we do is gut, right? Yeah. Like a lot of decisions we make, it's like a gut instinct. Something is telling you that's the right decision. And we've been put in that situation enough where we kind of know to go with our gut and usually it's going to work out correct. Yeah. Right? It'll work out right. But you don't, you can't define why you went that way sometimes.
0: Yeah, no, you're right, man. That's a, I mean, this is also where in a world where we're kind of riddled with data it can be very difficult to want to stay. You know, you can't just be making uh, sloppy decisions. But intuition is one that I find is usually put off to the side quite a bit because the data will overwhelm something. Which leads me to ask you: like, how many times do you'll debrief with somebody that got hired, maybe by you or not, and that leadership, the CEO, one of the C suites, is coming back and saying? Hey Steve, look, man, I need help finding maybe a replacement or somebody to backfill or someone to help someone we have on the team. What's the number? Do you have a top reason why most people are? Is it a technical competency that they're looking for replacement? What is the main you can reason? Always,
1: that, I the technical side, you can always learn that stuff. Yeah,
0: right. It's usually not that.
1: Right. It's usually something to do with soft skills. Right. Like, like the, can't leadership. Mean, they're not. They're not the the right leader for this team. They're not managing the team correctly. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's 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 usually the soft skills. That's so crazy, man. Yeah. It's crazy because it's the one thing that I find we don't always put a lot of, we as a collective business community don't always put a lot of, um, it's almost like the cherry on top instead of it actually being the cupcake, which yeah. is, hey, if, especially if you're hiring management, like that people skill stuff is imperative, man. I'd yeah. almost take somebody who knows diddly squat about this business that's just really good at motivating and inspiring people to go move forward. Um, how but it's be, risky though, right? Like-
1: Think about, and this is, this goes back to like the, the willingness to take risk, right? Like think about if you do hire someone who doesn't have those skills and they don't work out, like that's your boss going to be like, why did you hire this person? Yes. Right. So it's, it is risky, but people have to be willing to take those risks every once in a while. Right. That's yeah. what drives success. Like if you just stay the status quo, you're not going to get to be that next level company. You got to take risks, calculated risks, but risks yeah. sometimes. Right.
0: Now, that's the truth, man. Yeah, you probably don't have a lot to stand on if that thing just yeah. went crashing down, right?
1: But some of my best hires were the ones where I had to convince the hiring manager to take risk. Uh, like, interesting. They, they'll look at the, I'll talk to the person, they'll be like, strong yes. They'll look at the profile, they'll be like, really? Like, you sure? I'm like, trust me, you gotta talk to this person.
0: And then they hire them. That's like the most satisfying ones. Right. They come back and they're like, yeah. man, this, this yeah. person was amazing. Yeah. For sure. What do you find is like, can people work on soft skills? Is that a skill that you think is work onable? I do. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think being
1: put in those situations and having a manager or a leader who's going to push you towards those, right. Giving people the ability to be in those scenarios, I, I think helps develop soft skills. Right. So say, say you're looking at the soft skill leadership, Right, Mm -hmm. Um, you have to get put them in leadership scenarios for them to develop that skill. If you're the kind of leader that never allows their team to be put in those leadership scenarios, they're not going to develop that skill. Um, I I look at it; it's funny now that I've I have kids. That's kind of the way I look at parenting, right? And it's it's hard for me. Um, I've read something that Jocko had put out about how being a parent ties a lot into how you led you know, a team in the military, right? You can do it. You can take what you learn from military leadership and apply it to like parenting or even leading in the civilian side. One of the, the first ones on there is let, let them fail. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, that's hard for me. If I see my kid failing, you I fix really want to jump in and fix it, but they're not going to learn anything doing that. Yeah. Right. You got to let them fail and learn from it. Right. So that's, I try to do that a little bit when I'm leading in, in the business side too, is like, Give some you know, clear, concise guidance and let them go
0: and do it on their own. Let them learn, let them fail and learn from it, right? So yeah, what you're saying, God, man, that's badass. So what you're saying is like the soft skills is not always like, oh, you're good person. Because that's what we think about. Yeah. Oh, does that person have a good personality? Are they charismatic? Do they communicate concisely? Some soft skills is also the ability to practice patience and say, I'm actually gonna be passive here. I'm gonna yeah. let that person run into the wall a little bit, skin their knee that's also probably a good soft skill that a lot of us, yeah. I mean, we want to micromanage the crap out of failure, especially. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's interesting, man. What's it, like, so in business, like what have you found some of the leaders that you kind of look up to and say, wow, that person's really got it. Are they spending a lot of time in their organizations doing these kind of what we used to call exercises in the military or like, what are they doing differently? You think that it gets their team on board better?
1: I think, I don't know. I wouldn't say that like the training component always an area of opportunity that, it's just hard. To, it's hard to afford people the right to, to do all this training when you have when you have a mission to achieve. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I'll say the best leaders I've seen are the ones who who let you take on extra. Right. And they'll they're not going to micromanage you. They're going to they're going to give you something. And if you if you're successful, they'll give you something else. Right. And they'll let you kind of go out of your comfort zone um, and kind of feel things out on your own. Right. Like I but, but before I was a manager, I had a leader who would let me kind of take on additional responsibilities. Yeah, right? Because I was chomping at the bit. And I and I let her know. I was like, "Hey, I I want to be a manager one day. Like what should I do?" And she guided me along the path. to like develop those skills in the, the civilian side and those are the best managers, I think, the ones who kind of let you feel things out, let you take risks, you know, let give you fail you space. and let you learn from it, right?
0: Yeah. No, that's true, man. And you got So, yeah, it's it's giving you that space and then how much space do you give somebody, you think, in your personal experience?
1: I like giving them space until they ask for help, Yeah. right? Like, if they ask for help, I'm there. I, I tell them, like, I'll let you do it your way. I'm here to help along the way. Um, But I also think it's it's when you start to see, you know, start to see the failure culminate. Yeah. Right? And, and, and it's consistent. Then you maybe step in a little more. A couple of scenarios where they fail, like, you know, they'll learn from it you can kind of coach and advise them on it and then let them go back to it. But if it's a consistent theme, you might have to step in a little more. Yeah. That's kind of on a person by person basis. There's no, I guess, right answer for that.
0: Yeah. No, that's fair, man. Yeah. I know we got some time here left. So what I wanted to ask you about, it's a bit of a departure, but it's something that's been on my mind. And actually somebody the other day I was having dinner with, um, I've heard this many times in my life. And honestly, I used to take it, not badly, I just used to kind of be like, I'm sure y'all have. I used to not think it was a big deal. Um, but I'll, I'll give you an example of what it is. And I'm, I'm, I'd am i like to kind of maybe cap off our conversation with just talking about this. But it's about kind of recentering. And so one of the things I think about, here's how the conversation, when we're eating dinner. Or maybe we were actually out doing something else. But whatever it was, I've gotten this convo many a times where it goes, well, heck, man, maybe all this stuff, and they're talking to me. Maybe this stuff, I mean, probably doesn't bother you so much. They're talking about a work problem or a mm-hmm. thing that launched didn't go right or some new strategic rollout that's just failing. And they're like, you know what? That probably doesn't bug you none, though, right? Because you've been shot at. And yeah, so, yeah. like, I can't imagine that this even matters. And there's part of me that doesn't like that when they say that because there's a part of me that goes, well, I'm sure you've had tough stuff in your life too. I don't think anything that I've did is any tougher relatively to the stuff you've endured. But at the same time, as I reflect on that from a good place, why they're saying that, I do think it's kind of interesting to think about it from the regard of, you know what, maybe that is what kind of allows us to be able to move through business with ease is perspective around the fact that, like, I don't know, man, we have seen in real life personally and watched it real suffering and all the things that, like, man, I wake up every morning, even what's going on in Ukraine right now, and thinking to myself, man I got nothing to complain about right now, yeah whatever hard stuff I got I gotta go stay in the d m v line or I gotta go out here and deal with a pig headed boss, yeah, like no matter what or client or whatever, life's good, right, and I'm okay moving forward like how much of that plays into your day to day
1: that's that's a great question
0: I will say and i've I've been out of the service for five years, yeah,
1: like out of sight out of mind gets is something that resonates with me because it's, it's happening more and more the further away I am from it. I remember when I first got out, nothing could stress me out on the civilian side. Right. Because yeah. It was so close to me what I'd just been through. Um, I, it, like I, I used to, I remember when I first got out, I was like, Hey, I'm going to keep my PT regimen up. Right. I'm going to wake up early, work out. Cause that's what I did in the military. And you, you get soft the more you get out. Right. <laughs> like I, <laughs>
0: that's not a soft skill. Exactly. Man.
1: Like, and, um, and I try to go back to that a lot. What helps me, kind of recenter, is I think about comrades we've lost, right? Yep. And how lucky we are to still live every day and try to live it to its fullest. Um, I try to stay out of my bubble, right? It's very easy to get in your bubble and just get comfortable, yeah. Right? Just worry about yourself. So I try to, I, I, I try to reach out to my former teammates all the time who are still in, who are still serving, and hear what's going on in their lives. You know what I could do to help, although it's probably not much. I think staying present in that environment helps put things in perspective in my day-to-day on the civilian side because if I, I i notice if i go maybe a couple months without you know talking to someone i used to to work with in the military or you know thinking about a comrade we lost like i'll get i'll get soft i'll i'll get complacent i'll get i'll start to stress about things i shouldn't be stressing about yeah i need to kind of i need that gut check to put me back into those moments um yeah you know like you just you no, gotta, I d- you gotta no, stay yeah. involved in
0: that area you got me thinking about that too. I think that that's um, that's really interesting you say about getting soft. I do think that it was actually my number one, probably my top thing, getting out of the service was losing the edge. Yeah. Right. Losing that, being comfortable with discomfort. Right. You know. I mean. You know how it was, man. We used to go a long time without showers and food and you know, and but it's that weird. Uh, I I was telling, one of the things I miss the most. It's a weird thing to miss. Tell me if this resonates with you or not. I miss that level of fatigue where like you don't like you are dog tired, man, you know, and it's after either a field exercise or a long firefight or just, you know, a couple couple weeks being out on mission, you get back and you got that kind of like whatever probably people feel after a marathon times 100, you know, just, oh yeah, (laughs) I mean, yeah, you just like mentally, physically, spiritually, just it's all gone, man. It's all drained. But I will tell you man there's no better feeling than that. Like there's yeah. something just like cuz you know on the back side of that there's some there's a revival there that's just man you can breathe and you feel like god man that's a good reference point putting that in the library right for the future. You're right man that does not exist. You went
1: through something extremely tough with a bunch of people that mean a lot to you and you're you you grow closer because of it, right? Yeah. Like that's why I like team events are like phenomenal, right? Just even people who like train up for a marathon and run it together like going through the grind is what you know is the meaningful thing right yeah like the results are great but it's that grind getting there that is like what means the most I think
0: how do you think we heal I mean because I'm a big believer man that that shared suffering is shared really suffering. it's not only what brings teams closer together. But it would allows you to just keep your life in perspective For on sure. the things that should be bugging you and should not be bugging you. And then you ultimately make better decisions, right? Cause you're like, you know what y'all, we can take a break from this strategy meeting. Yeah. Right. Let's just come back tomorrow with better thoughts instead of like stressing about something. What are the things that you found that if you are trying to at least keep the edge, like what are the things other than talking to folks and stuff? And maybe let's just, I mean, take it one step further. There's a lot of folks without our experience. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think they can kind of help themselves just recenter themselves on like, hey, man, what's really important?
1: Yeah, I think it's connecting. So people, especially these days, it's very easy, especially as we in a remote environment, it's very easy to be for your work to be all encompassing. Yeah. I think what helps a lot is talking to them about, you know, passions they have outside of work. Right. Like, I don't like getting on work calls all the time and just talking about work. Like, if I have a one-on-one with someone and we have a topic to discuss around work, I like to start it and talk about, you know, what's going on outside of work. Like, what'd you do this weekend? What are some hobbies that you're working on? And you find a connection there. Yeah. And I think that builds that bond and it kind of recenters, you know, their mindset. Like, oh, maybe work isn't everything. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, man, you got a marathon coming up. How, what's your training looking like? Like, if talking about things outside of work, I think, help drive work even though it sounds counterintuitive, right? Like I'm talking about something that's not work related, yeah. but it's helping drive something that's work related. Like it's, I think that's the biggest thing. And it's, it's hard right now. And, and you know, with, with COVID and everyone kind of in the remote environment, it's, it's, it's hard to shut off work, yeah. right? But I, I'm very big on like balance. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a big part of it is at the end of the day, like it's just work, right? Yeah. You got to find stuff you enjoy and you got to work on that stuff. That you enjoy yeah. to, to be successful. So
0: yeah. balance. I know I balance is a is a good point because I, I think in the service it uh that was a lifestyle, right? Yeah. Like there was no balance. There was there, no man. balance. I mean there was none, man. You think about when how When I, I wasn't
1: at work, I was thinking about work and <laughs> but it was it was something I like I really loved. And I, I think made it acceptable, right? Like I'll yeah. never have a job that I appreciate as much as being a team leader. Yeah. And I have to find hobbies outside of that to, to balance that.
0: Yeah. You know, cause it's tribal man. Right. There's just something about that. That is family. I mean, even our families were families with the other families. Yeah, I mean, I it just, there was no line where yeah. it started and ended was all the same thing. And you're right. There's something beautiful about that. At the same time, it is difficult to replicate out here. I've found, you know, that yeah. true and you want to, I wish I could give people that experience yeah. because man, there's nothing better at the same time there is nothing more consuming in your life than having something where you're on all the time. So exactly. It's, some ways it's I guess. Tiring. You, yeah, it's tiring. It's not healthy man.
1: either if you think
0: about it. <laughs> no, it's not. If you think about all the uh the the downs that you have to deal with, you know, out there just yeah, it's all consuming on the mission front of the house, yeah. but it can be it can be pretty dire. Um, I guess maybe that's perspective too, huh? Like just knowing like we're out here and I'm thinking kind of just other service members that are getting out and getting into business, doing that. Stay is, connected. Yeah.
1: Right? Like I think for me and you, at least I I learned from experience because there was a, a time there where I just, I wouldn't say I was like, like I felt like I was letting them down by getting out of the service. Yeah. Right? Like I had a, I had a team and, you know, I was like, I don't want to stay, I don't want to stay too connected because I felt like, they, were look, they would look down on me for not giving up, Like, but in the back of my mind, that's what I thought. Like, that's I, how we, I gave up on these guys, yeah. right? Like I knew they were going to Afghanistan again and I wasn't going to be there with them. And and because of that, I kind of distanced myself and that was worse for me, right? Yeah. Like, That's when I started to get in my head and forgetting about all that and stressing about things I shouldn't be stressed about. I decided a couple of years ago, I'm like, I'm going to stay connected with those guys. I'm going to yeah. talk to them as much as I can. And that's what helped, helped me kind of recenter. Yeah. Right? No, yeah, I think a lot of veterans need to do that, and, and they might I don't stay, know if they connected.
0: stay connected. Stay yeah. connected, even if you
1: don't want to. Like, it's just it's it's healthy. I think.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're right, man. No, I absolutely think you're. Right. Do you also remember Steve? Like, how when we were in the service? Let me put it this way. Now I feel like I'm always thinking about the next ridge line or two. Like, yeah. what's the next thing I need to be jumping to? How I need to get? It's constantly on. Yeah. But in the service, man, I feel like I was generally in the moment all the time. Yeah. Like I almost had no time to think about anything else but what my job was today, what, where my team was and where I was like that was it, the training event. What, why do you think that's changed? Do you think it is because it's so consuming that you have no extra energy or what was that, man? Cuz now I feel like in some ways that does create more stress that's not healthy. That constant wound up because you got time to think about Yeah, what, I think what, it's you know I, what think I,
1: mean? that, I think some of it stems from that camaraderie. Like there was nothing you would rather be doing than what you're, doing, than in what you're doing right now with that yeah, team. Exactly. Yeah, And I think that's where you have to work on finding stuff outside of the military that you have that same feeling about. Yeah, And once you do, you'll know it and you won't be thinking towards that next ridgeline. But I think that's a big thing. And that's part of with, with me and, and my job is I like my job a lot today because it affords me the opportunity to do the things I love, right? Um, whereas in the military, I was in love with my job so much. That's all I cared about yeah you didn't have anything else yeah now I I I love my job because it allows me to do the things I love right like I can I can coach my kids I can do jujitsu when I want I can you know I have freedom to to go work out when I can so it's letting me let me do the passions outside of work is why I like my job right now yeah to be honest and that kind of keeps me in the moment
0: yeah yeah I dig it man no you're right there that level of do you, what if you were gonna brainstorm what kind of career out there resembles the military the most what do you think that is like if you're just
1: that's funny I, man that's a really good question
0: I don't think anything
1: does it's just it's and I think thing, the huh? problem I ran into is I tried to find something that did yeah. because I loved it so much um, when I was when I was working at Dell in sales I kind of the work the, the satisfaction wasn't there because I was trying to find something that I could put myself all consuming into and would love as much as the military. Yeah. So what I started to look into at at Dell was executive protection, right? I knew a a bunch of former Navy SEALs who were working on Michael Dell's security team. I'm like, thought to myself, that's really cool. Like if I can get into that lifestyle, that would, that's the fit. That would be just like what I was doing in the military and I'd love it. And I met with one of those, those SEALs and I kind of became pretty good acquaintances with that person. And, I started to peel back the onion on what it was. And he's like, if you think you're going to come into this role and it's going to be like going on missions in Afghanistan, he's like, you got another thing coming. He's like, this is not the glorifying job you might think it is. And he really put it in perspective. And he was like, you're probably never going to find a job like that. So find something that lets you do the things you love. And that'll be a job that you you'll want to come to every day. Yeah, man. He put it in perspective for me, man. Like that's super helpful. Yeah. Because you I mean, think those kind of roles oh, work. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: Or contracting with Blackwater Security, or some crazy yeah, things like not, that. And it's not the same. It's not the same. Yeah. One, you're getting, yeah, it, it's just, a, and it's a different motive. And the problem you run
1: into is when guys who do that think it's the same and they treat it like the same. And then you run into problems, right? Then you run into so. issues
0: because that, that doesn't fit. Yeah. What do you mean? So we're, we're coming up on time, my sure. man, but like I could talk to you for hours, but like, what, what right now would you say, like any parting words of wisdom or advice that you'd say, like especially for folks trying to get into, whether it's veterans or not. Yeah. But what I think about is that individual who's going at bat over and over again and failing to get the next round of interview or failing to get that next kind of, or even get hired. Yeah. What do you think they ought to try different that maybe will help them? Without yeah. being manipulative, but just like what do you think a lot of folks fail on? Or whatever piece of advice you want to give, but I think about that being something where you hear about folks a lot saying, "Man, I've been applying all these things, I just can't get in anywhere."
1: Yeah, I think the, I think for me, I, I mentioned this a little before briefly, but I think using your network, okay, is the the most important thing to getting your foot in the door anywhere. Right? A veteran wants to help another veteran, and they're willing to to, to step out of their comfort zone to do that. Right? So, you know, find a couple companies that you you like that you know you, you've read about and research that you want to get into. Look at their veteran population there. Reach out to a veteran there. Hey, you know, I'm just getting out. Can you look at my resume? Can you help connect me to someone? To find out what I want to do. Like that's network is the key. Network, yeah. network is what got me to where I am today. And I try to help as many folks as I can, but that that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Like, no, you're not inconvenien- you're not inconveniencing a veteran by reaching out and asking for help. Like we want to help each other. Right. So, so use that network. You earned it use yeah. it. Right. Yeah. I no, think that's, that's the true. biggest thing for, for vets is a lot of times they can, they can get, um, they get, it's kind of, you, you get put in a little bit of an ego check, mm-hmm. right? Like you got an ego, you don't want to reach out to just do it. Build yeah. A network, too proud right, to too go proud do that. Too proud to go
0: reach out to someone,
1: do it. That's what they're there for.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, the, uh, you're right about the, Cause it's, if you're getting a thousand resumes a day, the best thing I'm sure from a recruiting perspective, whatever the best thing you can hear is someone swinging by the office and being like, Hey, I just spoke to this person. Can you, it'll front load that resume. Yeah, exactly. Right. Cause it, it'll be like, and they love that cause someone in the company who they've hired is vouching for another person to bring in. There's a little bit of street cred that happens there. Re- right. Refer-
1: referrals always get a second look. Right. Yeah. Like if, if you have so- if I have someone at the company who re- who like is like, Hey, you know, I I, ref, I I know this person. Can you look at them? I'll d- always give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. They're usually going to get a call. Yeah. Right. And that's what it, that's the most important thing is get that first call. So work that network, work those referrals, you know, reach out to as many people as you can. Veterans, especially, they're going to help you. Yeah. Like,
0: if not, like they got something else going on. Yeah, you know, maybe, you don't a... want, maybe you don't want them to talk. <laughs> maybe to you, you want know. to move on to a different yeah, company. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, man. What's the, okay, last thing, man, before yeah. we close out, give me, I'm kind of putting you on the spot because yeah. I didn't tell you about doing this before, but g- give me the funniest story you can remember in your time in the service. Just something where it just, whether it's embarrassing or something that just makes you laugh and you think about it often, maybe there was a lesson in there, maybe there wasn't.
1: That's a good question. I'm going to think a couple seconds on this one.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And I'll just kind of say, because for, for our listeners out there, like it can be seen as a serious occupation and it is, but I would tell you. There is it is it's, it is probably equal parts humorous as it has yeah. to be. There's just nothing that serious you can go without laughing. Th- yeah. Okay. And it's extreme laughter. I mean, it's like stuff that you just like. Holy smokes! Did that really just go yeah. down? This is,
1: and this kind of it, this kind of put things in perspective. Um, I'm sure I could think of a funnier one, but this is one that comes top of mind. Um, in Afghanistan, we're working with a commando unit, and they're the, you know, for lack of a better term, they're like the elite of elite of afghan soldiers right they pick the best that they have they send them to us we train them and you know you think going into a combat scenario with these guys like they're going to be polished up buttoned up ready to fight and we were we were on a patrol with some commandos got into a firefight and it was we were taking some pretty heavy fire and i remember me and and one of the guys on my team looked back and uh one of the commandos had taken a, a milk gallon and put it taped it to his rifle at the ejector port to catch brass so that he could go back and sell it. So we're in the middle of a gunfight, and this 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 commando is worried about catching brass out of his gun. So he could Wait, go you back said and he taped it, it to taped the taped a milk jug so that all the brass I was ejecting would get caught in this milk gallon, and he can go to the bazaar and sell it. <laughs> Did it work? I don't know. It didn't work. The thing was burning <laughs> off. Like <but> we're like burned <laughs> like burn plastic. This guy's life is in jeopardy right now, and he's worried about catching brass. With a milk jug outside of his weapon while he's getting shot at. Yeah, like, that that puts it kind of puts in perspective of, you know, how much how poor they are there, right? Like,
0: oh yeah, man, they're trying to make a living. They're trying to make a perspective, living. Perspective, right? they can. He's like, hey, when I get done, if we got shot at out here, we'd be like, man, let me tell the whole world about this for the next seven months. They're just like, I'm getting shot at every day, but I'm I need to go make some money for food tonight.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's not even. He's not even behind cover or anything. He's in the open, just trying to mess with this tape around this milk gallon and we're just like man oh man man I love that dude
0: Well, that's yeah. a great way to end it oh, brother man. man it was yeah, great yeah. having you on man I appreciate it man I'm glad we got to do it So, yeah I know it'll help folks out the soft skill stuff is talked about a lot but I don't know that a lot of folks really know what it means so it's really cool having your perspective on it man really appreciate you coming on uh, of course anytime I appreciate it bud well thanks everybody for listening to the professionally offensive podcast you can catch us on all platforms JC out